Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. On today's episode, I talk about the YouTube rabbit hole I went down on snake milking and the people that love snake kisses. We take a <laughs> quick lap on the content circuit. It is fun to watch content when you're sick. And Brett prepped his ass off for this show by falling into an Indiana Jones-style snake pit of survivalism information to cover the French-language Canadian action thriller movie, The Decline. I'm now hoarding snake bite repair kits. What are you, FEMA? Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. So, Brett, you sound a little hoarse, man. You haven't been feeling too good lately, have you? No, I've actually been... Uh, so, my in-laws came to the state park and visited us. And then um, about two or three days after they arrived, I had a really bad headache. And I was just thinking like, oh, man, I'm just, I don't know, dehydrated, spending too much time in the sun, working, you know, but... Man, I got uh, pretty much like a stomach flu, but I haven't been tested for COVID. Honestly, I wish it was a little bit more accessible. I would have driven or I would have had to drive 45 minutes uh, to get, you know, a cotton swab or whatever shoved up my nose like you described on a previous episode. And I'm getting better. So I don't know what that information would do for me other than to let me know if I had COVID or if it was, uh, you know, a stomach flu or something like that. But I, I had no respiratory symptoms, no trouble breathing, no coughing, no sneezing, but it's weird. Now I sound stuffed up and I've had a litany of weird symptoms. So it very well could be COVID. Uh, and if it was, it was like a really bad stomach flu and a couple days in bed and, you know, it took about five days to recover, and I'm still not 100%, but, you know, it, it was... Uh, I've been sicker, to be honest with you, but it was pretty unpleasant, so it's hard to quarantine in a trailer. My wife's been sleeping in the camper. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that hobo life for you. Hobo life. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're feeling better. Yeah, we had to push our recording schedule back this week, but uh, yeah, man. It's good to yeah, know thanks, that you're buddy. back on your feet, buddy. Yeah, I you know I did take a uh, antibody. I was at the doctor for a different reason a while back, and I did get an antibody test. So like a Got week and a half early. ago, yeah, I guess so. I I did not have COVID at, at that point, but uh, yeah, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I guess there is a lot of uh, weird symptoms with COVID. So it's it's very possible, but you know I'm not high risk, and uh, like I like I said, it could have could have been anything, but I'm feeling better. Thanks for checking up on me. Thanks for sending me that virtual soup, and I'm sorry I missed your birthday. <laughs> no, it's all right, buddy. Way to <laughs> sell me out on the podcast. Now everybody oh, yeah. knows I'm old. <laughs> another year older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We did it. Way to survive another year. Well, it was Bree's yeah. birthday um, yesterday, and she turned 30 for the second time. Crazy how that works. That's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, I guess when you she turn may, 30, you just stop aging. She may be the first human in history to have the same <laughs> birthday twice in a row. She's like Benjamin Button, but paused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Button, but actually interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, something... That I've actually heard a few times, and I know you have a little bit more information about this than I do, but I've heard a few people really complimenting the uh, the theme music that we have. So I, th- I think we should probably shout out the group that created it. Heck yeah. I've been meaning to do that. Noah and Stephanie. I found them on Fiverr. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this website, but you, you can... I don't know. It's kind of like a marketplace for creatives and creative professionals to exchange goods and services. And I think the name comes from when it first came out, it was like the price that was advertised. You know, you could get somebody to do this for five bucks basically, but now it's really grown into 
this amazing marketplace where, you know, I never would have found um, these incredible musicians. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they studied at Berkeley School of Music. I could be wrong about that. Might have been Juilliard. It was some noteworthy, uh, you know, music school, and they're both extremely talented. I'm pretty sure Noah can play any instrument, and Stephanie does all the vocals. I mean, they are absolutely um, a dynamic duo for sure. So definitely if you need some, like, anything, anything musical or, like, a voiceover or even they do, like, editing stuff and... And, you know, fortunately, we've got a Josh for that. But, you know, the music for a podcast, I think, is really important. And Noah and Stephanie just knocked it out of the park. So I'm and glad you're uh, getting some positive feedback because it is awesome. They're Noah and Annie on Instagram, correct? Correct, yeah. So it's kind of a, a mishmash of their names. It's N-O-A-N-I-E. So I don't know if it's Noah Noah Annie. And, yeah. Noah, yeah, I'm not sure how you'd say it, but... Yeah, they're on. Uh, I think they've got like a YouTube channel that I might be a little dormant right now, but they do some like Christmas uh, remixes and stuff. I mean, they're really talented, dude. Like, incredibly, uh, just fun to check out all their stuff for let's sure. Let's link that. Uh, let's link that YouTube channel. Let's link them in the Done. show notes too. But yeah, they totally annihilated it. We uh, <laughs> we really appreciate it. I feel like it took our show up another notch. Uh, professionally for sure having this amazing theme music so we appreciate it it's all it's about awesome music. to hear yeah it's awesome to hear that the community likes it too yeah uh, all 50 speaking listeners of, <laughs> speaking of liking things something yeah. that, that I realized this week that I really like I'd say maybe even love about this show is that it gives me this, the excuse to be fascinated by things that I might not otherwise pursue so like like the puzzles. off top. Yeah, exactly. Puzzles. Anything in the off top, anything that's not consumable content. Like I found myself like going down these rabbit holes. For instance, like this week, I got sucked into this rabbit hole on YouTube watching videos of Coyote Peterson. Have you heard of him? No. Why does it sound familiar though? Oh, well, he's the he does a lot of YouTube. He, he was also on an Animal Planet show called Brave the Wild, which now they put a lot of Brave the Wild on YouTube, but he's like this crazy outdoor guy. He's like, you know, real charismatic, but kind of his thing, at least on a lot of the shows I've watched, is he lets poisonous things sting him, like venomous bugs and reptiles. Like he's got like a murder hornet sting. He's got a desert centipede, a lionfish, which I always thought that was like a death sentence. But he's also got stuff like alligators and Gila monsters biting him. It's, it's so this, this is his thing. This is his fetish. Well, I mean, he's like bad bug bites. Yeah, you might you might say that. <laughs> you can tell that he does not like it though, because he's just like, oh, it's the worst thing I've ever had. It's, but um, sounds like it keeps so, happening though. Yeah, like I got I got pulled down this rabbit hole when I was watching this video of him assisting with a snake milking and. I can already hear what you're going to say, Brett. Um, Actually, snakes don't have udders, but (laughs) that's not what I'm talking about, buddy. (laughs) That's what you sound like. But uh, I'm talking about venom milking. So uh, now they're on the same page, Brett. Can I continue? Have you looked into uh, snake milking or like anti-venom or anything like that? I mean, I... Not specifically, but I feel like it's one of those things that I have like seen on i don't know nature documentaries or nature shows it is fascinating i guess they it's a very valuable chemical because they can make uh, what vaccines or anti-venom out of venom oh, yeah they something make with it anti-venom or anti-venin if you want to put a little latin stank on it that's always kind of annoyed me that, that it's called anti-venom or anti-venin but yeah they create huh. anti-venom out of this milked venom from snakes and so like they'll they'll milk the snake which is its own fascinating process on the the video that i saw with coyote peterson they were in uh this milking lab and they they pulled the snake out and the the snake wrangler was kind of handling the head he was handling the tail and then once they get it under control this is like a 
you know, like a rattlesnake or something, the the snake wrangler has this little looks like a shot glass with a piece of uh, like cellophane over the top, and he puts yeah. his thumb up on the cellophane because he said the snake will not strike at the glass. It needs to like oh, sense really? your heat signature. So he puts his thumb up on top until the snake like strikes, and then it's like this race where he pulls his thumb out of the way, it strikes its fangs into the cellophane, then he squeezes its its venom sacs, and you can just see like, I mean, it looks like two fingers of yellow liquid just just fill up. It's so much venom, but man, once I, you they, know, I feel like I've seen it where they just basically shove the head of the snake on top of, you know, they just basically force the fangs into that like latex material. I haven't yeah. seen it where they get the snake to, you know, maybe that's a more humane way of doing it or something. It's pretty I, crazy. It is insane. We'll link that too. It's really, uh, really interesting. But um, like once they milk it, they'll freeze dry the venom, they'll purify it and they inject it into a host, which with a lot of snake, anti-venom it's a horse and then they injected in a, a non-lethal amount just enough to cause an immune response and then uh it's kind of like uh vizini from uh, the princess bride you know inconceivable that guy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> how he's drinking minuscule amounts of poison it's like just like that and then they will collect the horse's blood and then once uh once an immunity to the, to the venom is developed, they'll extract the plasma and the antibodies are isolated from there. It's like this technique that was developed in the 1800s. And it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy how like technically simple the process is, but they, they just, they just minorly refined it over the years until now, you know, they create anti-venom for all these different snakes and each snake has to, it, the anti-venom is required, you know, that, particular snake to be milked and this whole process to be to be gone through to get like rattlesnake or like uh or like water moccasin or copperhead or whatever the snake is each one they have to go and milk an individual snake for it i I feel like uh this might be a little um controversial but i feel like somebody needs to get the coronavirus snake and try to milk (laughs) that thing uh anti-venom yeah, did you get bit by something? Is that how? Is that how you got sick? <laughs> I guess one of those little germs. Yeah, Snake totally. Germ. Well, speaking of like humans getting bit, as I was going down this rabbit hole, I discovered this guy named Tim Freedy. They call him the Venom Man, and <laughs> God. it's it's pretty insane. But what what's really weird is that the first adjective used to describe him in this video about him getting bit by snakes is divorced. It's it's oh. like so sad. The, the video kind of sets him up initially as being a bit of a sad sack, like his obsession with uh, venom and being bit by snakes has like cost him his family and all this stuff. But what he's actually doing is it's some pretty advanced science without any training. So he's been injecting himself with small doses of venom a la Vizzini from Princess Bride for like 16 years. Oh boy, that sounds good. He's developed this immunization for snake bites and he's taken over 160 bites in the last 16 years. So the video I watched, he takes a bite from a black mamba on one arm. So he holds it up and he goes, black mamba, and it bites his arm. And then he like wrangles it and puts it back into its cage. And then it, he holds up another snake, Taipan, whoosh, bites his other arm. And then he wrangles it and puts <laughs> it back. And these are like two of the most deadly snakes on the planet. And so he like stands there and then it shows like, oh, 15 minutes later, he's got these gigantic welts on his arm. But, you know, he's like, he's completely cognizant and he's with it. He's not like going into convulsions or anything. So it's this uh, microbiologist that he's been in contact from University of California, Brian Hanley. He said that he really thinks that Tim Freedy is doing like solid, if not amateur science. And his goal is kind of like, he wants to develop an immunization for snake bites to save lives in Africa, where there are like all, all these venomous snakes live there. It's just like, this is not, as something definitely we'll link to because. So, but it, but it, so is he, he needs to get like consistent, bites from these snakes over like small bites over long periods of time to build up that immunity or is he like 
Studying I'm, his antibodies? No, he is injecting himself with venom that I'm assuming he milks himself. So these very small wow. doses. And then I think like you were saying with Coyote Peterson about having some sort of fetish about getting bit. I think this guy is fetishizing getting bit by the world's most deadly animals because yeah. he's, he seems really into it. But it's just... <laughs> if you it's got a name like the Venom Man, you just got to lean in. Yeah, my it's mom named me Venom Man. Very convenient. <laughs> the uh, the business you ended up going into, Mister Freedy. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, interestingly enough, I feel like this relates to my content piece, which I won't go too much into now. But it, you know, I kind of am wondering how, like, being prepared obviously takes some investment and isn't a bad thing. But if you're trying to get immunization from a snake bite and you have to go through this insane process to do that it's almost like the pain of preparation is worse than the outcome of being prepared i mean i i don't think snake bites are that common and i can't imagine you know the average person going through but you know maybe he's going to stumble on some discovery i'm not opposed to it just keep the black mambas away from me he's going to be so mad if he doesn't fall into like a Indiana Jones snake pit in his life sometimes. Right. He's like, oh, it's all paying off. Right, but, exactly. You know, like, their snake bites are not that uncommon. I found some stats, like 5.4 million bites per year with 80 to 140,000 deaths per year. But they wow. think that those numbers, you know, they, they think those numbers would be astronomically higher in the deaths if it weren't for snake venom or anti-venom. Most of the deaths occur when people do not have access to antivenom. I mean, gotcha. that's, that is so many bites, but it's based on where you live, Brett, and with those odds, you probably have a snake crawling up your pant leg right now. <laughs> have you, I have actually, you I just saw a, a snake the other day being eaten by a magpie. It definitely oh, wasn't man. a black mamba. It was probably a baby gardener snake gardener snake yeah yeah i've never seen a uh bird eating a snake in front of my eyes while the snake is writhing around it was a little little slice in nature right there yeah that's pretty awesome actually you sent me some pics of that that's pretty amazing (laughs) yeah it was a good cool actually (laughs) well have you ever seen what snake venom does to human blood I know. Does it? I mean, it, de- it it gives you necrosis, right? Like your cells die, your tissue dies. Um, actually, I'm not sure on that. I didn't see anything specifically about that. That might be a side effect of what it's doing to your blood. Like I saw this uh this video of rattlesnake venom. They injected into this little like petri dish of blood. And it instantly like coagulated it and almost Ooh. turned it into like a jelly. Like the the entire thing went from being a liquid into being it looked like a like a block of jello. And as the guy is like sloshing it around inside the petri dish, it goes from, you know, just like looking like liquid to being this solid thing that's almost leaving no liquid trail behind it. It is I mean, I can imagine that that you know, it caused blood clots and probably yeah. cause a heart necrosis attack. at the source of the bite yeah you probably have a but, heart attack long before anything else yeah it's I don't so know. brutal but I, so i That's was crazy. you know i was watching all this stuff and then with coyote peterson i was also wondering like i wonder if he's ever almost died because he's had all these crazy bites and i did find a video of coyote peterson almost dying but it's from falling off a cliff so he's like he's shooting like b-roll and uh, he's jumping, he's in Arizona, jumping from just like one rock outcropping to another. And he he kind of slips as he lands and he falls backwards and he rolls off this, this. it's probably like a 15-foot drop. He does like a backflip and falls and just boom, lands on his back, on his backpack and like busts his arm all up and stuff. Ugh. It's so crazy. I'll link this too because it's, it's like Coyote Peterson is very awesome. I can't I can't recommend his show highly enough. But uh this this is a really good entry point seeing these two videos. Kind of gives you like a like a little slice of what the show is all about. But he just bounces back so fast, gets up, starts talking to the camera. It's it's pretty awesome. Wow. It, you know, I am kind of curious, how did you end up here? Like I cuz I I fall down these YouTube holes a lot. 
and uh, I at some point I reach this like video that kind of wakes me up out of my you know daydream or reverie or whatever I, whatever just sucked me in and I'm like okay how did I get here and I try to retrace my steps to figure out if I like searched a certain term or I was trying to learn something and then you know so what instigated this well, I saw the first video I saw on Facebook but it was a cheerleader getting bitten by a copperhead so she's Ooh. She like has a she has like a practice mat. It's it's like raised up off the ground. It's out looks like in her backyard. And she walks out and she sets her she has a camera set up so she walks into frame and then takes her shoes off and right as she takes her shoes off, she steps up onto like the base of the mat and you can see a snake come out from underneath it and just like it just tags her in the foot and she doesn't even realize it happened. She just climbs up, takes her other shoe off, sets it on the ground, and then she stands up and then she kind of starts like acting like like she hurt her foot or bumped it or something. And then you see her like start to pace around. She looks at her foot and it just, it's just really disturbing because I don't know what it is about copperheads, but it's a baby that strikes her. And it looks like she doesn't realize for like two or three minutes later. And then she starts like getting really freaked out and she runs off and I'm assuming she goes to the hospital and doesn't die. But that one got me thinking about snake bites it led me down this rabbit hole, but it also kind of got me thinking about like run-ins that I've had with snakes in my life. You know, like I grew up in Texas. There's a lot of snakes there. But like I know you had your little garter snake run-in with the bird, but have you ever had anything with like a poisonous? Yeah, I, I have. Anything? I have seen a rattlesnake. I mean, it, I think I've only seen one. It was camping in Colorado, but. Um, I have seen a lot of those snakes on those flags in Texas. They say, don't tread on me. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I think that's uh, New Hampshire, buddy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Texas, wherever it is. You know, Uh, I, this is probably an incorrect, um, I don't know. This is just how I feel about certain animal species, but I will take any snake any day over most spiders. So for me, it's like, you know, snakes are fine. Scorpions are a little like on the, that looks crazy. But then spiders, I have much more of like a visceral fear of spiders than I do of snakes. But uh, I've never been bit by a snake, so that's probably why. Definitely have had a spider bite when I was a kid that I remember pretty vividly. Oh, my God. I had a wolf spider get into my shirt when I was 18 or 8 years old and just like, tore me up but I didn't realize it and then later I started feeling all woozy and my grandma laid me down and this wolf spider went running out of my shirt and so I'm right there with you man I've been afraid of spiders forever I never I mean I never really got obviously never got bit by a snake but in Texas one time we had a tent set up in our yard that we were just like we lived in the woods so we just camp in our yard and we had been like laying in it and playing like for like two or three days. And then when we went to take it up, my dad pulled it up and there's like a copperhead just right underneath it. And so I don't know wow. if it, it was probably using our body heat. It's like, oh, I don't want to bite this thing. If it dies, I might cool off and then I won't be as comfortable as a snake down here. Right. So that was like, that was terrifying. Yeah. I went to uh, Philmont, which is a scout camp, Boy Scouts. Uh, when I was a teenager and we were just walking on some mountain trail and a few people stepped over what we thought was a log. And as I walked up to it, it was like an eight foot rattlesnake that coiled up right in front of us. And it essentially like cut our crew in half because the people that had passed over it without disturbing it were on one side. And then me and a few other people were trapped on the other side of the trail basically because you know, like an eight foot snake can strike like, like, you know, six or seven feet. So we were just like hanging back while this thing rattled and basically decided Jeez. when it wanted to leave, which was super terrifying. Wow, but that's crazy. Probably the scariest thing with snakes. I've told you this story before, but um, on a motorcycle trip with our good buddy Derek, who I know you've taken a lot of motorcycle trips with as well, uh, we were we were riding through Arizona and it's like super hot. And we stopped on the side of the road and we're going to eat lunch and down the hill from us, there's like some trees and this little wadi. And so we were like, Oh, let's, let's just walk down there and 
you know, eat lunch in the shade and we're walking down this hill and it's like really, you know, it's like kind of like thick grass about ankle high. And about halfway down the hill, we were both like, this might be snake country. We might want to back off and, and, you know, cut this one short. So we turn around and we start walking back up the hill. And as soon as we turn around, probably like five or six places right out in front of us, we see the ground just like coil up the grass and just like rattling all around us. And it was all of a sudden like being in a minefield of rattlesnakes. And so we just very slowly, just kind of as much as we could try to skirt around where we could see them. But it felt like I just had like this almost crippling sense of my own mortality that lived in my shins. Because if we Yikes. got bit by a snake out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, I mean, pretty much nothing short of a flight for life is going to save you at that point. Right. So far from civilization. No, you can't start talking about uh, long motorcycle road trips because this podcast already got me skydiving again after like a <laughs> decade-long hiatus just by talking to you. Now I'm going to want to get a motorcycle and start going on long trips again because, uh, yeah, I don't have any snake stories from riding with Derek, but I did get a cactus in the hand once. Oh, yeah, that was unpleasant. Close the handlebars. No, I we were just like hiking up this very steep hill as – Derek is wont to do and uh, put my hand on a rock for, uh, you know, to not slide down this hill and the rock was a cactus and, but, you know, had to find some like uh, tweezers and pull the little things out of my hand. But man, I'll tell you, nothing like riding around the country on a motorcycle and, you know, sleeping in tents and the occasional motel when it's too cold like that is, that's living, man. It's, it's a good time. Occasional uh, rattlesnake landmine field. Yeah, a couple cactuses yeah, awesome. in your body parts. So, yeah, that's what I've been obsessed with lately, man. Um, how about you? You got anything new on your content circuit? Uh, I finished Altered Carbon. Since I was sick, I had Ooh, some so good. bed Netflix time. Yeah, it's very good. We're going to definitely have to do like a two-episode, uh, I don't know, two-part series on that together and deep dive it. Um, season two was not as good as season one, in my opinion. I agree. That, I agree that only puts that. it at like an eight instead of a ten. Right. It was still fantastic. Well said. Yeah, Anthony Mackie is awesome, but I agree that the first season was something special. It, it got a little convoluted there. But, yeah, about to finish a book and excited to start a new book and uh, uh, started watching this. Uh, Buddha's Brain is what I'm finishing. I'm not sure what I'm going to be. Uh, Atomic Habits, maybe? James Clear. I don't know. I might. I might go for something a little more uh, fiction oriented. I did. I do have the the last book on the left that I'm very excited to read. <sighs> You've got my copy of it too. I I actually had four copies of it because oh, Barnes and Noble uh, kind of messed up the order, but they fixed it, so they have redeemed uh, themselves in my eyes. But yeah, yeah I got a Brett signed were... copy of that. Some true crime. Actually, we were very on. early adopters of the last podcast on the left's book. Yeah, I think we pre-ordered it, and we were going to be at one of their first book signing uh, live events, but of course that got pulled or pushed back because of COVID. So that was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it might Hopefully still be happening. Get it rescheduled. Yeah. yeah, month or two from now. How about yep. you? What's on your content circuit? Uh, there is a there's another YouTube channel that I really like. Uh, it's called well, there's two channels they're associated. One of them is Corridor, and they're this Los Angeles-based uh, VFX company, and they do a lot of like they do like John Wick. We fix John Wick. They'll do a video where they'll like fix all the gunshots in John Wick, or they'll do you know a six-part series based on the video game battlefield so they do a lot of work with like special effects involve guns and explosions and stuff do they do they do that keanu reeves um like beats up a bunch of people in a convenience store yes fake video okay they did the keanu reeves deep deep fake they also did the boston dynamics yes uh, robot video exactly what you're talking about so there's, I mean, their page is amazing, but what's even better than their page is their secondary page, which is called Corridor Crew. And 
it's it's all like behind the scenes stuff and they have a series called VFX Artists React and they will take like clips from either like good movies or shitty movies basically whatever's interesting to them and then they'll do like a breakdown of like if they think it's good if they think it sucks how it's made and I mean with with my background in computer animation and graphic design and art for my whole life I think that's super interesting plus it helps that the hosts, uh, Nico and Ren and Clint and Sam, they're all like these very interesting guys. They're all funny. So uh, Corridor and Corridor Crew are both really awesome YouTube channels that I can't recommend highly enough. All right. I'll definitely have to check that out. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good, man. Nice. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll get into some content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now, it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. (gasps) Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, what kind of awesome thing that I totally love that you're going to talk about today? What do you got? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Dude, this is probably one of the first movies or just pieces of content in general that I consumed after we started this podcast where I was immediately like 20 minutes into it. I cannot wait to talk about this. Um, And it's interesting. The last time I talked about uh, a movie... And actually, the last time I talked about any any content, it was a big budget mainstream blockbuster, The Matrix, of course. Today is very different. This is a very small, foreign language, independent film uh, with a different style. But interestingly enough, it does explore a lot of the similar themes kind of revolving around a macro scale disaster uh, as well as uh, a micro level sort of disaster and i think this movie really fits the moment that we are in and the movie i'm referring to is called jusqua decline i think that's how you say that in english that's it how is i called say it <laughs> the decline oh i love it it's so good it's really I'm good so, so excited uh, to hear your take on this oh man well uh i'm not gonna go deeply into the movie but we're gonna cover some basics I am not going to spoil this movie for our listeners. It is a 2020 Canadian action thriller film. It's directed by Patrice Laliberté. Ooh, how'd that sound? Nice. Yeah. That sounded sounded like you had the uh, the emphasis all worked out. <laughs> I ate my French baguette this morning for inspiration. <laughs> so. It had its theatrical premiere at the Rendezvous uh, Quebec Cinema in February of 2020. So this is a somewhat newer movie, and then it was made available. I didn't know it was that recent. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty recent. I I feel like it 
you know, we, we must have watched it shortly after it came out. Um, so it wasn't made available as a, an original on Netflix, and it's dubbed in 32 languages. Which So something that's interesting about this movie, not only is it fantastic uh, acting, but all of the original actors dubbed their own dialogue to ensure that the English accent of the Francophone Quebecers would be accurately represented. So anytime you're feeling like you're uh, not talented enough, just think about these incredible actors who also speak like four different languages, right? Did you watch it dubbed or did you watch it with subtitles? You know, I think we tried to, like we did make an attempt at watching it dubbed. You're like, oh, this is dubbed, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So we put it on English, but it was just too distracting because even though it is their voices, it doesn't match up with their mouths moving. So after Train to Busan, I can't watch dubbed anymore. After after I, I realized how much I like hearing people speak their own language, now I just have to watch original language with subtitles. But absolutely, and I, I do I think, think it's yeah. Like with this movie, you have to read fast. They burn through the dialogue, and then the subtitles on the screen just pop up, and they're gone so fast. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I didn't really notice it, but I, I watch a lot of movies. We've You're just about smarter than subtitles I am. I guess. On. No, I just you didn't I, know that snakes don't have udders, but you are smarter than me. <laughs> Coyote's my real name. So I did prefer watching it in French uh, as originally filmed with the subtitles on. That is the way God intended the decline to be viewed. That's true. I'm sticking with that. Yeah, it's in the Bible. (laughs) The Bible. It's the the most accurate prediction the Bible had. That's right. It's in uh, John 20, 21. 30. Good, good one. We'll, that we'll cut that out. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> what's, what's this movie about for anyone who has not seen it, which I'm assuming is most people? Okay. Well, um, let me just say it is, I think, the already the most underrated movie ever. Uh, even before it came out, it was the greatest movie you've never heard of. I, I Let's just go into prepping. So... This is this is one of those movies where I don't want to you, you know I saw this movie basically uh with no idea what it's about basically a quick blurb on the Netflix title screen the cover art uh Brie actually selected this movie I kind of put the burden on her to watch a movie for the night Did you select it or did she select it based on the cover art? Because the cover art is really awesome and creepy. She selected it and we just, you know, the criteria was a movie that was new to both of us. And we we like the occasional foreign movie. It's like a guy standing in the snow with like this really creepy balaclava on, like just looking like a total psycho. Right. And we definitely were looking for something like on the thriller action sort of spectrum. So... But I had no idea that it was going to be like one of the greatest movies I'd ever seen. So, but I do. I I, I just want to emphasize that, um, you know, I I'm not going to go into spoiler territory, be- and I want you to see this. You're just going to have to trust Josh and I that this movie is amazing, and you need to feel compelled to watch this. But I'm going to try to keep things as vague as possible. Um, so in that, well, if you vein had to, uh huh, if you had to give it like an elevator pitch. I think what I would say is it's a movie about people that are going to train prepping techniques and then stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. You could say, you could say it's like survivalism gone wrong. Yeah. It's that's pretty, you know something that's that, pretty spoiler free. Something that's like kind of crazy. I Another thing I've noticed about this show is like, there seems to be this sliding scale of spoilers, like what's allowed and what's not allowed. And I think that with our content pieces, we're always trying to walk a fine line between do we see, do we think something is out of like the spoiler grace period? Like talking about Matrix, obviously we can go as deep into it as possible. But then when we do something, a content piece like this, you know, we really have to find a different narrative because 
the whole point is this of this is we want people to go watch the decline. So for sure, everybody that's heard this podcast has already seen the Matrix, but yeah, I exactly. guarantee nobody has heard of the decline. If somebody that listens to this episode has already watched the decline, I will be shocked. I'll eat my hat. <laughs> But it's cool, sure. like watching a piece of content with like a different eye now of thinking like, where's a narrative that I can talk about this while completely avoiding the story? And it makes me appreciate like the concepts and the artistry and just the, you know, the acting, the construction, the writing, all these things that would just kind of wash over me before I was watching s- this stuff with such a critical eye. Right. Well, you know what, Josh, why don't you put your blindfold on? Hop on the back of my snowmobile, Ooh. and I I will take you down the path uh, to clear some content that kind of the narrative that I chose to talk about this is by talking about prepping, because that's not too much of a spoiler, and I think it's a really interesting topic, and I am curious to hear what you have to say about the movie, but you know, prepping is a very interesting, or survivalism, if you want to call it the official name. Uh, you know, we've all seen the shows. We've seen the YouTube videos. I think it gets a bad rap. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is, you know, there's kind of like this uh, ant- antagonistic way of looking at hoarding. It almost seems like a pathological behavior. But, I mean, there are serious preppers out there. And honestly, some of our listeners might be preppers. And I say good on you. I mean, if you didn't have some extra supplies and essentials last year, I mean, you might be more inclined to be prepping now. And that's kind of the interesting thing about it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being prepared in case of an emergency. But Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Also, prepping kind of has... smart. There's a little bit of like a culty, religious undertone to a lot of prepping, which can sort of give it a bad rap also. You know, like just a lot of like when you hear about a cult or a compound or something that got raided by the ATF, like Waco or something, there's always like this prepping angle that seems to accompany stories like that. And I think that that's sure. like, yeah, it's kind yeah, of a shame because I mean, being prepared is it's the best. Right. But so that's, I, I think, like a interesting idea that this movie brought up for me you know, how far is going too far with prepping? I mean, what happens if you become obsessed with the idea of being prepared? You know, very similar to a plot line of the movie. You you could be radicalized on YouTube. You could be understandably swept up in this culture of confusion, fear, mistrust. I mean, it's super prevalent right now. And I think it is for sure safe to say that you can go too far. I mean, if you are running drills with your family to plan for some seamless evacuation in like the wee hours of the morning and, you know, you're telling your little girl that if she forgets to grab the pet turtle with your bug out bag that, you know, you're going to have to leave the pet turtle next time. I mean, Antoine sounds awfully specific. (laughs) Antoine from Montreal would say this is not going too far. Yeah, it's like that That kind of mindset is almost, it's like you, if you take it that far, you're almost disappointed that something doesn't happen. Like Tim Freedy, you're almost disappointed you don't fall into the Indiana Jones snake pit. Exactly. When you brought that up, I was thinking of that precisely, is that it almost seems like when you are prepping for something, you want that disaster to happen like you're you're almost waiting for it and i wonder if there's some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that these people are wishing into existence yeah i mean i think it's like i i know like my stance on gun ownership i think that gun ownership is important and again it's like being prepared but i think that it's possible to take it too far where you are almost hoping something bad will happen so you have an excuse and it's like it's all like with anything where you're prepping for a dangerous situation outside of the norm. You know, I think it's, it's really important that you understand that you're walking like a tightrope. And if you fall off, you don't want it to be by your own cause. You don't want it to be something that you brought on yourself. You want to be ready for this stuff, but hopefully you live your entire life without ever having to use your 
stock of food or your 10,000 rolls of toilet paper that you just bought last month. Right. I mean, well said. And I, and I think that the, you know, I'll just kind of talk a little bit about the start of this movie. Cause I think it, it, uh, works with your point very well, but Antoine, I mean, take our protagonist. He's this well-adjusted, you know, Canadian dude, just a regular guy who just happens to be really into prepping on YouTube. I mean, he's, he wants to protect his family yeah, his antics kind of seem a little bit over the top in the first few minutes of the movie. You also hear this radio discussion about these hundreds of millions of climate refugees that'll be looking for a new home. Now, they don't make it clear exactly when this movie is set, but I mean, it's not inconceivable that we're going to be running into some dire straits in the next few decades, which could it could prove the most radical preppers to be on the right side of history. Right. Or is it like the radio show that he's listening to definitely feels like indoctrination radio. Like he's, it's probably somewhat on point about what the future could be, but he's also reinforcing his own biases by like just surrounding himself with that kind of content at all times exactly and that's and you know i thought of that too i'm thinking oh this guy isn't crazy he you know listened to the news but then i thought about you know what how we feel right now about the news and you know is this could could this be mainstream media exaggeration could it be sensationalism and antoine is just responding to this or further radicalizing himself in this echo chamber uh, and being inundated by this fear mongering. Would you have ever thought you had COVID if COVID hadn't been on the news for the last six weeks? Definitely not. I, it would have, you know, probably I would have said stomach flu, right? Yeah. Or a snake bite. Woo. <laughs> snake crawling up your leg, Brett. There's that great Mitch Hedberg joke. The snake bite <laughs> repair kit is just a body bag. <laughs> My favorite one is, if you want to talk to me after the show, I'll be fucking surprised. (laughs) Always love a good Mitch reference. (laughs) So, at some point during the process of acquiring five... Body bag. Snake bite repair kit. Uh, So, talking about that point, like you're talking about with gun ownership, I'm talking about with prepping. If you're acquiring... 500 acres of land in the middle of nowhere in Canada. Uh, Dude, I'm into it. You're growing your own vegetables. Sweet. You're learning to hunt. You're setting traps. Okay. Right right on. You're stockpiling ammunition. Oh, all right. You start, you know, booby trapping your land. I I feel like you at some point you cross a line, right? You've gone too far. But it's so hard to tell where that line is. No matter what side of the line you are, it's very, very difficult to get that accurate perspective. It's like frog in boiling water. I will say this movie has probably the quickest turn from manageable to big problem that I've ever seen. It's it's <laughs> yeah. it is I I don't know how many like crazy scenarios you've been in your life where you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna get out of this one, but what I like about movies like this is that you can really imagine yourself like, oh yeah, I could see myself being in this, into this kind of oh, thing. Totally. And I could see myself going to like a training retreat and then, oh my God, I guess this could happen. And then what would I do? You did. I, I love how grounded in reality this movie is. It really, really seems like it could just happen. And straight up, I know people like this. I mean, uh, you already talked about a different Derek, but think of the other Derek that we know, Derek V, one of our old co-workers at the wind tunnel, amazing guy, great guy, an awesome boss. He was one of our superiors, but I remember him telling us a story that he used to buy a box of ammunition every single day after work on the way home. Every day, I mean, you know, we're talking five days a week, right? Or something like that. Buying a box or two of ammunition because he's stockpiling for the end times, basically. I mean, that seemed crazy to me. It still seems a little over the top, but between... Eh, I already I already had him pegged as the place I would go in a zombie apocalypse. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's but that, where I was going to go. For, for sure. But, you know, the zombie apox, po- apocalypse has not happened, 
But I will say, even though it still seems a little over the top to me, that that line for me has moved just based on what I've gone through and what the kind of what the times are. He seems a little less crazy, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say he was pushing it too far, but yeah, it's I guess I mean, it's all it, a matter that's of perspective. A big I also I grew up in Texas too, and I mean we would. Every day we would go and we would milk the snakes and we'd get our we'd, <laughs> we'd harvest our bullets. Venom boy, so <laughs> harvest your bullets <laughs> on the old bullet farm. I I always wondered where they grew bullets. I guess it's in Texas. That makes yeah. sense. My dad's house. <laughs> your dad's house, right next to the blown out blasting pit pool. Exactly, the old so, swimming hole. <laughs> so I feel like one of the problems with prepping is it's this really risky insurance policy to do it right. You have to do it early. It is a serious investment of your resources, especially your money and your time. And if everything goes well in life, you won't need to cash in on that insurance policy. I mean, you know, like we were talking about, imagine you want things to go bad because you spent all this time, Sealing up your dry food, chopping your firewood, building a latrine in the forest. I mean, it sounds bizarre to say this, but you know when the shit was hitting the fan not too long ago, preppers were like, I got this. We're good. Almost like guns. relief that you could just like, right. walk down and be like, finally, who's the idiot now? All my neighbors. Totally. You, know, you, they, you would feel so justified. And you probably, like I would imagine a prepper probably wouldn't want this lockdown to ever end. It's, I mean, they, they got to stock up their stash, uh, at some point, but I mean, I definitely imagine, you know, what kind of like response a prepper would have if they're just kind of smugly grinning at the idiots in line, uh, at Costco, you know, sitting comfortably on their log, cranking away at their survival TV, harvesting their bullet plants. <laughs> Is that a th- is that a thing? Can you crank? Is there a TV? I know there's a radio you can crank, but is there like a a crankable TV? Probably. I mean, I imagine you could graft a crank on any electronic. Yeah, it might be a prepping know how, Brett. <laughs> yeah, you can make you can all do your dreams come true. <laughs> so, um, I'm definitely. It might sound like I'm bagging on preppers a little bit. I'm definitely not. I do want to mention a wonderful article from the Atlantic that I'm going to link to in the show notes or you can see it on our website, cchpod.com. Uh, it's called We Should All Be Preppers, it, and it specifically mentions a prepper expressing his frustration uh, in watching all the frantic hoarding of supplies, and he compared it to fixing a leaky roof in a rainstorm. And I kind of liked really that good. quote. It's it good is, analogy. and uh, I did send you that article before the show. I don't know if you got the chance to look at it, but it has some dream real estate for someone like us. Um but, you know, and another thing about the article, just right off the top, the author mentions their experience interviewing preppers for the last three years. I believe he wrote a book about prepping. But he said he mentions they're prepping for a, a sort of ambiguous future disaster. Like, they, they're, you know, it's one of those things where is it a pandemic? Is it civil unrest? Is it a war? Yes. Like, you know, it, it, there's Take no Take whatever real, they get. Yeah, I guess so. You got to be ready for anything. So definitely check out that article. Um, But back to the movie. Um, Another thing that I love about The Decline, if you have any interest in prepping, or if you don't, you will still be super jealous of the setup that the character Alai has because it really is a survivalist's or naturalist's dream. I mean, it's amazing. It's so good. And... Even though, you know, disaster strikes, it never really seems to taint, like, the allure of having, like, some badass self-contained woodsman off-grid lifestyle. I mean, that's another problem I have with prepping is that it's cool. It's badass. Like, I want a bunker. That's why, like, with, I don't know, like, an action movie, like Shooter or something starring Mark Wahlberg, uh, it always, you know, they'll start, or like a... Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They'll always start like showing them living like 
this simple life in the mountains where they're living off the land and they're like sighting in their rifles at 1200 yards and yes. carrying giant logs on their shoulders while they're rippling muscles <laughs> shoulders. in the sunlight. It just <laughs> looks very appealing. It really does. And I mean, you know, Bree and I like chase a, a, a sort of like a type of that lifestyle. Like we really like to be in nature, but we are so dependent on, you know, society. And I think that that's kind of like the bane of a survivalist existence is reliance on lots of people and lots of systems because there's that mistrust there. Um, but on the on the bunker thing, um, and not specifically the outdoors thing. Have you seen Colin Furs on YouTube? No. He's this cr- crazy British inventor. He builds this outlandish stuff. He's got like Wolverine claws, magnetic shoes. Dude, he, it's wild. Um, so if you've never seen Is any that of these guys' videos. Equipment? No, it, oh. it's just like he's he's just a he's just like this outlandish guy, and he just builds these crazy things, and he clearly enjoys life. He has a lot of fun. He, you know, he's always playing like rock and roll music in his videos or like, I don't know if it's British punk. I have no idea what it is, but it's loud and he's crazy. Uh, but one of his projects was this backyard underground bunker. Uh, I will definitely link the video to this. So he does like a five year, uh, update and bunker tour. And dude, no one can watch this video and say they do not want an underground bunker. And I'm just, I'm not sure why it appeals to me so much, but I feel like it's not just about survival. Like there's this little that's boy, a guy and that sounds yeah, awesome. It, there's, it's awesome. Like there's something that gets awakened in me. Uh, and it's not, it's not even just the bunker. It's like that it's hidden. So you don't even know that it's there and you go through the shed and there's a secret door. I mean, there's something really cool about that. Yeah, that sounds. I, I've already started hollowing out the floor in my office here, Brett, just because <laughs> that sounds so appealing. Yeah, One I'll edit out all the, the digging top. noises. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, despite the desire for a survivalist utopia that the decline might awaken in you too, I think you will be left feeling uh, confused, disturbed, conflicted. This is definitely not just a movie that explores the cool gee whiz aspect of prepping. Uh, It definitely shines a light on the sort of isolation one can feel when they try to hide away in the woods and, you know, the loneliness you might experience keeping humanity at bay. It definitely takes a very realistic approach to what could go wrong. If you combine the sort of high-risk, no-nonsense activities preppers might partake in, with the sort of high risk, no nonsense personalities that attracts prepping to begin with. So on that note, let me ask you a question. I'm not going into spoilers in any way. What do you think about the violence in this movie? Because I think for one thing, it all comes out of nowhere and every single part of it, like it really makes you like kind of face the ramifications of some of these actions because the the violence is just it's so intense and real and it's just like always such a surprise yeah i i mean i would say to listeners this is not a movie for the faint of heart it is a brutal movie it's uh as josh might say it's fudged up um <laughs> that does sound like me but I, I think it's very representative of the problem of prepping, which is, you know, there's this fine line between being uh, prepared and pathological. And if you are trying to separate yourself from humanity, you know, he, he, he it, there's such an eloquent scene where he's discussing the lucidity of the woke citizens of you know preppersville or whatever and that they need to depend on each other and they need to work together and uh obviously you know it's it's kind of like if you're a prepper you're saying you know when when somebody's accumulating ammunition for the end of the world that that those guns are not meant to help other people they are meant to protect yours and your own right so i i think that this movie really eloquently sort of displays 
uh, both the good and bad uh, of what can happen. Yeah, it's very intense. Very intense. So, Josh, to prep or not to prep? What do you think? Do you think that actively planning for disastrous events creates this self-fulfilling prophecy and creates this mistrust of our fellow humans? Uh, I wish I could say that I had the kind of balance to walk the line, but at the same time, it's just like, I don't know if I want to dedicate my life to it. You know, it's like, there's a lot of games and movies and books and stuff, you know, (laughs) I got kids to raise and it just, it's like, I think that it is important to be appropriately prepared. You know, if someone were to break into my house, I'm prepared. I've got extra water. We have a week or so worth of food, things like that. But I think that if you if you roll over into like making it a hobby and then making it a lifestyle, then there's almost a hundred percent chance that whatever you're doing is going to be overdoing it. So I think <laughs> that the I th- so yes, I think it is important to be prepared for a reasonable amount of risk but dedicating your entire life to it i think is going too far yeah well 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 said well um for my piece i definitely want to end on that i i think that you're right we could all do our part to be somewhat prepared in case of an emergency uh, i mean it's like diversifying a portfolio it's not a bad thing that sounds like something and- a prepper would do you're right bury the gold under the bed uh but you know recent events i think are serving as a potentially prescient reminder that even the united states of america in the year 2020 our grocery stores might not always be full of food our pizza boys might not be delivering we our did jobs start a garden might not be secure you did yeah a pizza yeah, garden or a bullet yeah, guard. A, a both. We have and have. <laughs> Diversifying your portfolio. Exactly, yep. I mean, we could potentially be one more Trump term away from more chaos and anarchy. But I, I hope that if I ever build an underground bunker, I hope it's for fun, it's for laughs, and it's not due to mistrust of my fellow countrymen and my numerous neighbors if I ever found myself digging underground because I digging thought Digging under a, the airstream. <laughs> digging, <laughs> digging a hole to drive the camper in. You know that thing can move, right? What? You know that thing can move, right? You're just going to ruin the parking lot at the campground. Well, I've got to ha- I gotta have something underground, man. The, these are my hashtag 2030 goals. Woo! I mean, I, I definitely hope that if there ever was a possibility of nuclear annihilation i hope that i would have the sense and the strength to just get out of my bunker take my neighbor's hands above ground just we go out with a bang together yeah you don't want to survive that yeah just a little take me just let the light (laughs) wash over you (laughs) burn your shadow onto the wall behind you Exactly, just skeleton hanging onto the fence like uh, yeah. the Terminator, right? Yeah, a little Sarah Connor action. That's right. Well, I highly recommend the decline for anybody that has not seen this very underrated and uh, not very well known movie. It will probably get you thinking about a lot of things, and I I would love to hear some feedback. We are on Instagram and fa- uh, Facebook at the content clearinghouse if people loved the movie if they hated the movie if it frightened them if it was too gory if they are now building a bunker i would love to i would love to hear some if feedback Brett sounds from our, too uh, hoarse yeah. just let us know <laughs> now you're you're actually approaching josh level of horse voiceness does it sound pretty bad yeah i can definitely bad. tell yeah well it won't I don't matter what i'm living out in the woods about it buddy <laughs> I got enough to be self-conscious about. Yeah, don't worry about it. Just get that cleaned up before next week. <laughs> you got it, boss. <laughs> Cheers, Eli. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome, yeah. man. Brett, yeah, speaking of thinking about things, that's what your content piece always makes me do. I love hearing your take on this stuff. Anytime I, uh, anytime you tell me the content piece you're going to do, I like instantly get excited about like whatever that thing was, even if I hadn't seen it in a while, just because your take is always just so detailed and takes a lot of angles that I might not have taken if I were to break this this movie down. So it's really uh, it's really cool. I appreciate that. I'm assuming the listeners appreciate that too because it's very interesting. And um, you know we appreciate you guys listening to the show, coming back every week. We love that. Please tell your friends about the Content Clearinghouse. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the show. And uh, the more we grow it, the more uh, sponsors we can get, and the longer we tell, can keep tell your prepping you friends too. You know, yeah, I exactly. you can get podcasts out in the woods and under the bunker. Got to have something on that crank radio slash TV <laughs> setup that Brett has been fantasizing over. <laughs> crank it faster. Yeah. I'm trying to watch Shark Tank. <laughs> trying to listen to Brett. He just thought he had COVID. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. And please join us next week right here on the Content Clearinghouse. Prep it up.